Hello, and you are listening to EcoJustice Radio from 90.7 KPFK Studios in Los Angeles, California. Our show is brought to you by SoCal 350 Climate Action, presenting environmental and climate stories from a social justice frame featuring voices not necessarily heard on traditional, mainstream, or even public media outlets. I am your host, Jessica Aldridge, and today I will be talking with Otter Vasquez, environmental and social justice organizer and candidate for Los Angeles City Council District 10. Ara is an Afro-Latina immigrant, community leader, fearless advocate for environmental and racial justice issues, and running to be the first woman elected to represent Los Angeles Council District 10. As the first immigrant and the youngest to be appointed a commissioner for the LA Department of Water and Power, Ara supported millions in investments in sustainable energy and incentives to lower power bills for all residents. In 2018, she coached Democratic candidates across the U.S. and helped flip the U.S. Congress to a Democratic majority. Her commitment is to give a voice to people who have been historically unheard and help them build a prosperous future for themselves and their families. Welcome, listeners. This is EcoJustice Radio. In today's show, we are discussing women in politics and the environment. Over the past few years, there has been a significant growth in U.S. politics of women candidates, especially women of color, and for many, this being their first run for office. Now, when we use the word women on this show, we are including all individuals who identify themselves as women. As of today, there exists a record number of women in Congress and more young women and women of color than ever in U.S. history. We are currently living in a time when the constitutional rights of women are being questioned and legislated by our local and federal politicians. As of June 4th, it has been 100 years since Congress passed the 19th Amendment granting women the right to vote, ratifying becoming law in August 18th, 1920. However, women and members of our diverse community still suffer from inequality and misrepresentation throughout the political system that tends to lend itself to a cisgender, white, male-dominated culture. Their opinions and leadership still suffer from the ills of dismissiveness. How do we go about changing the old boys' club, and what does this mean for bringing social equity to the table? Shirley Chisholm, the first black woman to be elected to U.S. Congress, once famously said that if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. Mm -hmm. Maybe some of our listeners have been considering getting involved at the political level in their neighborhood or city. To you, I say do it. And to everyone, keep listening because you are in for a great show. It is my pleasure to welcome environmental and social justice organizer and candidate for Los Angeles City Council District 10, Otter Vasquez, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us in studio today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, Otter, your efforts and involvement are very well known uh, about the political and environmental arena in Los Angeles, California. Briefly describe your environmental and political journey. My environmental journey really started when I was 11 years old, originally from Colombia. And in those days, we first learned about global warming I saw a science show about the ozone layer, and I learned that because of CO2 emissions, we were having a big hole in the ozone layer, and that was going to cause seawater rise levels and extreme migration, uh, catastrophe in our our economy, 
and so many other effects that I feel for a child in the 80s was a lot to handle. And I remember just uh, learning about this new thing that for me was very unfamiliar, but it felt so real, which is uh, global warming or what we know today as, as climate change. I remember talking to my family about it and asking them if they knew about the ozone layer and global warming. And of course, this is the late 80s, you know, where the term was even unpopular. And this is where, when the for the first time, also Congress learned about um, the effects of, of, of global warming and such, or even accepted a hearing around this specific issue. So I went to my, my principal, I went to school, and I went to talk to my principal uh, the following days, and I asked her what she was doing about mitigating the effects of global warming. And, of course, she looked at me like, what are you talking about? And, <laughs> and you know, and, and I explained to her what I have seen in the show, and she said, well, what are you going to do about it? And I think that that was the, the perfect question for a child and also for me, which took on the challenge and went to uh, start the first environmental club in my school, recruited some of my classmates and my science teacher, and we went from classroom to classroom encouraging students to stop using aerosols. Now, some of us, uh, maybe younger than myself, don't know this, but back in the 80s, the hairstyle was very different than today. So we have big curls and big hair, and there was a lot of hairspray. And, and in the show, they talked about the aerosols were the real problem about, you know, about global warming. So we were able to ban aerosols in my school. And that was the, the, the very first action that I ever took in my life, basically, and, and what really shaped my career and my calling around environmental issues. I moved to the United States in the late, um, in the early 90s in, in 1995 with my family and in New York you know I became uh, another immigrant you know like a lot of people that come to this country with a lot of hopes and dreams and I went to school in New York and later learning about the profession of community organizer I came to California to to do that to exactly uh, you know, especially after learning that Obama was a community organizer and the profession of community organizing, I decided to come here and learn community organizing in the come way. to Los Angeles. Yeah, to, to yeah to Los Angeles to learn more about you know what it was organizing like because throughout my early uh, professional career, I got the opportunity to see. Uh, you know, work with some of the worst performing schools in New York City and understanding that unless we all come together for change, there was not going to be long lasting change. So for me, community organizing was very attractive in that sense. So I moved to California, I moved to L.A., and I found myself working for the Sierra Club. And they um, they tasked me to with the Bianco campaign here in Los Angeles and for some of you might know, but Beyond Call is a very successful campaign from the Sierra Club, and their mission is to retire coal plants and replace them with, with renewable energy to find jobs for those folks that are, you know, transition, transitioning from the extracting economy to the renewable energy economy. And, and in L.A. was a very dynamic moment where 
I work for one of the biggest organiz biggest environmental organizations in the country, the Sierra Club, and where we had a city council that even though was a progressive council, didn't have that many uh, environmental or environmental justice wins under their belt. So, and, it, and I think it was also 10 years ago, it was a very dynamic time. You know, it was, it was, I think, the beginning of the end of coal, as we know it. I think people started with Al Gore and such. People started taking climate change a lot more seriously. And to win a campaign in a city, the second largest city in the country, with the largest municipal on utility, was quite the task. It took a lot of efforts, and a lot of people came to the table, and mm -hmm. I think that's how you and I met each other. And, you know, in 2013, L.A. signed the, the contracts to end their reliance on coal, and... In 2025, we retired completely from one of the most polluted coal plants in the southwest, which is Navajo Generating Station in Arizona. And just recently, we turned completely off of coal, and this is going to happen in 2025 from IPP in, in Utah. What is the role of women in the environmental justice movement? Why is it so important that women are playing a role in this area? Yeah, so women are the most affected in a lot of ways from environmental pollution and environmental racism. So from a woman of color perspective, a lot of us have families and we're the head of the household. So oftentimes immigrants like myself end up living in areas where there's the most pollution. And because our representation is not as strong in the political process, a lot of times companies, corporations end up um, coming to our neighborhoods and doing as they please without thinking on the health of, of the people that live there. So, for example, with coal or even just pollution in general, particular matter, mercury, I mean, like all of these other polluters, women take a huge constraint and, and, and it affects us a lot more in terms of early birth defects and, and, and child uh, birth and and asthma and all of the other things that affect affect real women. So for us, being an advocate is extremely important. And another different sense that I like to to mention is, at least in the Latino community, uh, the decisive vote are actually women. So the men and the people in a household will vote the way women will vote. So they're in extreme influencers in their community. And so so in this sense, like the role of women in environmental issues is extremely important. I I have, uh, you know, I think about, for example, right now in Los Angeles with neighborhood or urban oil drilling, which is a very dynamic campaign happening in Los Angeles and is led by a woman, you know, a, a fantastic uh, woman, uh, Dr. Arguello, and, you know, and somebody that I admire at all. Our very environmental justice committee in LA, which was the all energy and environment committee, as as a lot of us know, is led by Nuri Martinez, which is one of the only few women elected in the city council here in LA. So the role of women is extremely, extremely important. And what does a clean energy plan look like for the city of LA and any city for that matter? Yeah, so I think that uh, currently Mayor Garcetti has a rollout a a 
a plan that is robust, that is looking at divesting from completely from gas, especially recently when we uh, retire three coastal gas plants that were polluting also our neighborhoods right here in our backyards. Natural fact, gas, right? Natural gas, uh, which has been pretty... I mean, the other day I was listening to the radio and I still hear these commercials about switch to clean, renewable, natural gas. And I'm just... It's just fascinating to me that you hear this in the radio. It's the same argument with clean coal. So, But, you know, I feel like our city is headed to a place where we started to really see the reality that there is no renewable natural gas, and that's a plain lie, and there's no clean coal, but nothing but um, renewable energy. And renewable energy that is from renewable sources like the sun and the and the wind and the water, because I know that that can also be a quite controversial term. So we have a, a plan that is that is exciting. I feel that we can do better. And I feel like we can do a lot, a lot more in Los Angeles, especially at a place, at a moment in history where people really want to see action on climate and where people really want to see more clean air, more electrical vehicles. They want to see water that is healthy for them and that it doesn't only uh, support our city, but also supports the places where the water is coming from, which I think is worth mentioning, that a lot of us in L.A. forget that our water is coming from a beautiful place in the Sierras, which is native land where people struggle with the idea of giving this beautiful resource to our city so that we can survive. So I think that there's so much more that we can do in, in L.A. I personally want to see L.A. getting to 100% renewables and quicker than what we have right now. My goal is to really push for a plan that will get us to 100% renewables by 2030. If you are just tuning in, you are listening to Eco-Justice Radio coming to you from the KPFK studios in Los Angeles. We are here with Otter Vasquez, environmental and social justice organizer and candidate for the Los Angeles City Council District 10. Otter, what do you think of the concept of community choice aggregation? Yeah, community choice aggregations have been a, a, a really interesting um I guess experience. I should first say, what is community well, choice yeah, aggregation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so community choice aggregations give the opportunity to community members to come together and form their own way to bring about their energy, so procure their energy. So that's a community choice aggregation. This actually model started many years ago, uh, about 20 years ago, in California. Now, there are many uh, states that have adopted this model, California being one of the most, most, I'll say the one that have adopted the most. And I think it's wonderful because it allows people's choices. And when I was commissioner for LADWP, I struggled because it's only one utility. You know, we're, we're the only utility that serves Los Angeles. And in a way, as a customer, I always felt like, well, but I don't have a choice. And in a world where we have a choice from what kind of car takes us back and forth from our home, you know, now we don't only have taxis, we have other mediums of travel. We even have scooters that can take us back and forth, you know, and from what, what kind of food we eat. I feel like choice is a good thing. I got to say that in in my in my research around community choice aggregations, I want to see a much more inclusion on low income customers 
right now, when you want to aggregate, you have a plan. You know if it's going to work. You know how much it's going to cost. But it doesn't really account low-income folks. So you, you don't have to, in your study, you don't have to uh, understand how this is going to affect low income or how is it going to be better for them. So again, we see a, a beautiful idea and a beautiful plan that is actually helping cities go to 100% renewables so quickly. Uh, overnight, there are cities right now that now they're going to get their electricity from 100% renewable sources. But yet, the, the people that are most affected by pollution, most affected by climate change, are not accounted or even, even um, studied in a way where we can really learn if how they're going to be affected or if they're, are they going to, so now are they going to pay zero dollars because now their energy is, is cleaner and is, um, and, and is coming from a, a cheaper source, which I think is, it was also one of the promises of the CCA, the CCA model. How do we have a just transition from fossil fuel and environmentally intensive jobs to what is considered green jobs? And, and on top of that, what is a green job? That is such an important question, and I think it's, it's, it's essential for us right now when we're thinking about the renewable energy economy or the clean economy, because there's a lot of folks that have been building gas plants, operating gas plants or coal plants or fossil fuel infrastructure, let's just call it that way, that are having a secure job that make a, a, a decent living that is going to support their families, that have a retirement plan, that have a job security, as I said. So when, when, when we talk about the jobs and the renewable energy, it's not apples to apples because it's also decentralized. So certainly we have a workforce development that is not trained to do the things that they have always been trained to do, which is operating X, Y, or Z plants, right? Electrical plants. So I think that in every planning that we do, and I think in LA, what we have done is to create trainee programs that take people to better get there and to also transition so that is equal amount of benefits so they don't scale down or, or, or lower down their benefits. And I think that this is extremely hard because we have, for example, the solar industry installing solar panels. Maybe people make $30, $40. A DWP employee can make up to $80, $100 an hour. So you can really ask somebody to... You know, leave your job, come to install solar for half of what you're making, and that way you can support your family. So I think that we really need to figure it out. How are we going to create a job pipeline for folks that are transitioning from the extracting economy, from the fossil fuel economy, to the renewable energy and clean energy economy? But if we lock in the understanding on how to do this or figuring out how to do it is really going to be it's really going to be problematic in both ends because people need to make a living yes i totally yeah. support that everybody needs to make and 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 in a in a state and personally as someone that believes that unionized labor is a good thing for our economy and for our communities I think that we need to figure out how to make that transition in a way that is just 
and that supports employees also and, and wor- I'm sorry, workers. Why are you running for office specifically the Los Angeles Council District 10? Yeah, so I was uh, watching elections in 2016. I saw uh, Donald Trump get elected, someone where that instigated so much hate in our communities that openly openly share that climate change was a hoax created by China, that, I mean, that it was bigotry uh, attacks on women from the beginning. We, yes. saw, we saw this, the racism in his trajectory and someone that never had any political experience, but was just an ent- entire white man that woke up one day and said, I'm going to run for office and I can do it better. And in fact, you're fired. you know so I'm watching this whole thing and I remember being so upset about it because after learning all of that he's been for the American people to choose this man and I know that the popular vote and you know I get it but he's our president today and I thought wow we really need to step up and do something because if this person can run for office and win so many of us have better understanding of our communities and that and have done so much more and better and are willing to do the extra work and go the extra mile. Why aren't we running for office? So I think that that was like a little seed that was, uh, you know, planted in those days. You know, I became a commissioner for LADWP and I hosted, I established the first office hours Ever in the history of DWP as a commissioner, I had first contact with community members. That's crazy to think. (laughs) When you posted that, I was like, wow, that's never existed before. Never. And And you're representing the community. Right. And it was also kind of met with a lot of uncertainty. And, and I mean, I remember even people saying, well, you're making the other commissioners look like they don't work enough. I mean, it was just all this, it's just, you know, change. It's, it's not easy. And, no. and and at the department, some folks felt that, oh, she's, she's going to, um, you know, crazy people are going to come. And I was like, okay, what kind of crazy people? Because, you know, we all have a little crazy in us, I guess. So, you know, just, just having that experience and learning from people, every like everyday people, it really helped me. Also, again, like I feel that the seats were getting, were growing and growing and growing more. California Senator Mark Ridley Thomas may be running for District 10. What is the difference between you and your opponents? What sets you apart? So I am a grassroots organizer that my, my goal is to represent folks just like me, just like everyone else. I have a longstanding progressive agenda and values. I'm here to stay and I'm here to represent our community. My opponent, Marily Thomas, is a longstanding elected official that has served our city. And for that, I'm forever grateful. I know what's like to serve our city. I was not paid as a commissioner. So I believe me, I know what's like to serve and, and how hard it is. But we need somebody in District 10 and in Los Angeles that is here to fight for us and to fight for what we need. And Marily Thomas has been a city council member before in District A. He can only serve one term as a council member. So therefore, even if he wanted to continue being an elected official, not an elected official, but a city council member, he wouldn't be able 
because his term limits his term How long out. Is the term is four years. Yeah. Yeah. So he he can only serve four years. So that's that's one of the reasons that sits as a bar. I'm here to stay. I'm not sure about him because even if he wanted to, he couldn't. The other thing, I signed the pledge for the no fossil fuel money pledge. So I'm very proud to say that as a grassroots organizer and as a grassroots candidate, that's my value to protect the environment and to protect people's health and to bring clean air and clean water to our neighborhoods. And that definitely I don't think that he will be doing anytime soon. <laughs> and I know we only have a couple minutes left here, but I just wanted to touch on some other issues because there is no environmental justice without social justice. Mm-hmm. And we're suffering from affordable housing options in L.A. We have a homeless crisis. How do we address this? What are some of those other issues that you want to speak to? Absolutely. So in my district is a very real issue, gentrification, affordability and housing, and uh, and just the homelessness crisis. And let me tell you what's affordable for the people in my district. In my district, people make in an average $47,000. So for us, an apartment that costs more than $1,500 is, is almost impossible to bear. And we have and we have a part and we have places in our in development that is really has a lot of power in City Hall that they're building so much in my district. And 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 people are worried and scared. And I, when I become a city councilwoman, I can tell you that that's going to change. I'm going to fight for renters. I'm going to fight for more protection for uh, rent control. I want to I want to create a, a tax for for places where they're vacant. There's a lot of foreign investment that have come here, built build stuff, is janking our, our rent, and is and nobody lives there. And we need places where we can we can live, and we need places that we can afford. Before we wrap, tell our listeners where they can connect with you and your work, as well as any resources that you think might be helpful. Of course, so please come join my campaign. You can look up my um, at my website at aura2020.com or like or like I like to say it better, aura2020.com, and that's a-u-r-a-2020.com, or follow me on social media at at Aura Vasquez official. And I hope we can continue the conversation. Join join the campaign. Yes, and we'll definitely have you back in while, while this starts to heat up in 2020. Thank you to Otter Vasquez for being our guest and to our listeners for joining us. All the resources mentioned today will be available at SoCal350.org. You have been listening to Ecojustice Radio brought to you by SoCal 350 and 90.7 KPFK. The show can be found on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and at SoCal350.org. Created by Mark and J.P. Morris, executive producer Jack Eit, engineer Blake Lampkin, an interview hosted by myself, Jessica Aldridge of Adventures in Waste, original music by Javier Cadre. And until next time, remember, the power is yours.